Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have a very interesting show for you this evening. My guest is the one and only Whitley Strieber, and uh, Whitley is uh, known for a lot of things. Um, an amazing uh, horror uh, novel, The Wolfen, 1978, The Hunger, 1981, both of which were made into feature films. Um, his book in 2004, The Day After Tomorrow, was also made into a film uh, more recently uh, with Dennis uh, Quaid. I watched that film and I really liked it before I even knew that Whitley had anything to do with that. Um, in the UFO field, Whitley is mostly known for his, I think it was a 1987 nonfiction book, uh, Communion, uh, which really shook things up in the UFO world. Uh, the book Communion has come up on this show a number of times, and uh, I do want to talk to him about that because, uh, especially when it comes to the Allagash incident, that was uh, that story. Uh, I'm wondering if he even knows about that part of the story. Um, we'll be discussing his new book at some point tonight, which is titled A New World. Um, his very popular website uh, for paranormal is unknowncountry.com, and Dreamland is his longtime podcast. Well, um, occasionally I have to do a live stream show a little differently to accommodate the people across the pond. So tomorrow, Wednesday at 1 p.m., for those of you on YouTube that like to watch the live streams, I'm going to be live with Philip Mantle at 2 p.m. Eastern, I'm sorry, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and with uh, David, Dr. David Clark uh, from uh, Britain also at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So these are two separate streams. Um, you'll be able to jump from one to the other, those of you on YouTube, and it's going to be made into a podcast, and also it's going to be at the regular time as a pre-record on KGRA Radio next Tuesday, the regular time slot, and it will also be out as a podcast at the usual time uh, next Tuesday. And our latest blog which is always made into an audio blog, is uh, over at podcastufo.com by Charles Lear. It's called UFOs, Contactees, Humanoids, and a Thorn in the Side of the Air Force. I kind of think the title says, says it all there. I do want to thank everyone that listens to the show, and I want to thank everyone behind the scenes. Uh, we have Bill over there at uh, Bill Skywatcher over at KGRA Radio. The last uh, half hour of the show, he will be screening the calls. And uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, over at Facebook.com uh, slash podcast UFO, we have a lot of people over there, uh, 22,000 or so. And we are simulcast over there as well and also on Twitch. If you support the show, I want to thank you very much. I couldn't do it without you. And uh, if you are looking to support the show, you can do that for $2 or more a month. There's also a new option up there. They can You can make a once-yearly payment, and that's over at uh, patreon.com slash martinwillispodcastufo. And uh, that link is also on our website. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest tonight, Whitley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes. Uh, now, Whitley, uh, I have when I first started looking into this topic, I uh, your, your name came up a lot, and I remember... Um, you know, just trying to find out more about your situation. Now, I've, I'm kind of a newbie on the block. I've only been around this topic since I had my uh, 
sighting back in 2006. So, you know, like I say, I'm kind of a new one on this. I've had the show for about nine years. You've had your podcast for a long time over there. Um, and uh, this this topic uh, means a lot to you, uh, starting all the way back in uh, 19, I think it was 1985 or so. But I want to ask you, what was your thoughts about UFOs, say, in your childhood and growing up? Miller's two answers to the question. The first one is, when I was a little boy, I was fascinated by UFOs, by flying saucers, because they were all over the news when I was a child in the early 50s. And uh, I go back, it seems, farther and farther every day. And if you think about it, that's true. (laughs) Um, So we were playing spacemen, and oddly, there was a lot of odd stuff going on that I was really not, not cognizant of for example one lady who was interviewed by edward conroy the reporter who wrote the book about me called report on communion lynette glasscock uh, who lived up the street her son and i were close friends said that i used to complain about being taken by the spacemen when i was um having overnights at their house and there's a lot of that sort of thing in those days. And then his father was involved in a, what was then a very famous UFO incident, the Leveland, Texas UFO incident, where this object was seen hovering over fields near a highway, and it caused cars, including his car, to stop. So we boys were just obsessed with this stuff. Hmm. Uh, and however... I then became a teenager and put all the childish stuff behind, forgot about it entirely. One friend who knew us back in the 70s when we were living, Ann and I were living in New York, and we were um, uh, we were talking one night. We used to have, we, we were in the Gurdjieff Foundation, and after our meetings at the foundation, a group of us would come over to the house, to the apartment, and just chat and kind of talk about things and, you know, what we'd had, what we'd discussed in the meeting and just a social chat. Someone brought up UFOs and I reacted and scoffed and said, let's not waste our time talking about that sort of ridiculous stuff. And that was the only thing I remember from that until 1985 about UFOs after I was a child. Wow. Wow, amazing. And so this kind of, now you had some success, a really good success uh, as a novelist. Yes. And I think think where, you know, a lot of people question right off the bat is, uh, you know, he's a great fiction writer. Is this another fiction book? Your your title in the book, I think, even says a nonfiction book. Um, but uh, yeah, well, it, it, that, that question has been asked about seven hundred and fifty thousand times, and seven hundred fifty-one thousand. Well, and yeah. one, I mean, yeah. the, answer, the answer is always the same. Yeah, at this point in time, and this has been the answer for a while now, it's probably the most multiple witnessed paranormal experience ever. There are, I think. Um, at least half a dozen direct witnesses, many of them named witnesses who had experiences with the visitors at my cabin. Uh, the afterlife revolution adds a whole group of experiences people had with Anne after she passed away. 
And there are yet more uh, witness experiences in a new world. So it's a very extensively witnessed event or series of event life events. It's not fiction. Nobody can do that. I, I couldn't get all these perfectly ordinary, normal people to go running around telling lies about having experiences at my cabin, for example. And th these are extensive experiences. Uh, Edward Conroy and Raven Dana and Laurie Barnes, among the, those who can be named, had very incredible experiences at the cabin. Uh, Josh Sand Jock Sandulescu has uh, died. Uh, Annie Gottlieb, who was his wife at the time, they had an experience at the cabin. She's still very much alive. These people have borne witness. You have that much witness. And if someone wants to say, well, it's fiction, that's what they want to say. It's not necessarily what's true. Let me, let but, me ask you this. Uh, so I, I know the cabin's long gone out of your life, but has that continued? Have you checked to see if things have continued on there? They have not. They have not. So it's just no, following no, it has you. To do, it has to do with me. Yeah. It, it, it isn't, uh, it isn't local. Lo it isn't location related. I know the visitors very well now, and uh, they are here, and they are involved with me. And um, it's a something that I I guess I must have agreed to do between lives, because I, you know, I could I, unless unless they you know I just you know sort of when I got curious and. You know, they got uh, used to me, and we've become we're co-workers now, pretty much. So they well, let me they, ask you: they, they'll go wherever I go, even into hotels. Wow! Um, now you've called them visitors for a long, long time. Is there a more accurate term at this point? I want to stay ambiguous about it, and right now, the within the many parts of the. Uh, people who think about this and work on it and are at the edges of the intelligence agency, agents, agent, agency level, are trying to think about what is it? And I, that's very much my question, too. Uh, I saw a tweet by uh, uh, one of the TTSA guys. I'll remember his name in a minute. That that was saying that the the next step is to try to identify the source of all of this. What is it? What is it? We know it's not a foreign power of any n normal sort on this earth, but that's really all we know. Um, the the, uh, the question of its origin is a very open one at every single level. And, you know, I there's materials have been studied extensively. I participated and, in fact, head, headed up some of those studies at Southwest Research Institute, and I still have some of the material that we found. Only it's, in, it's inexplicable. But does that mean it came from another planet? No, not necessarily. And there's been some material studied for it, some of the same group of materials, have been studied for their uh, isotopic ratios, and they they're they're perfectly stable pieces of metal, but the isotopic ratios are not 
only not earthly, they're not even of this universe. So we don't understand that. We, I think there's a parallel universe that's right here. And I think that there is flux of between it. And somebody on the other side has apparently figured out how to do this. I think that's where the, that's my opinion now, my belief, now, or not my belief or opinion, but my theory now as to where they may be coming from. You know, I it's just a, as, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm saying it's just as good of answer as any that I've heard, actually, because, um, you know, I'm always uh, cautious to say that I, I know what these things are for sure. But about the visitors, is it the same ones that, I mean, do you recognize um, these visitors as individuals, like maybe even with a name yeah. or anything? Or some of them, no, no, there's no names in that at, yeah. at all. Um, I don't think the Grays are in that space where they have names and individual personalities. I've had recently, I had a long conversation with a man. A lot of people are involved in this on the other side, who explained to me that the Grays were what he called a nesting species that they came, they, they evolved out of creatures who were uh, nesting creatures, sort of like insects, but not quite like that. And that they have a very different sense of time, a very different sense of personhood and personality. And they don't have, a physical language, although they do have a written symbolic language. I've seen it, and boy, I'm telling you, it is extraordinary. You see some of the things that they write by hand, and you would not believe how subtle that could be. It's just like very highly evolved chops of Chinese or something, but more, uh, more looking like an Indonesian hand script, not not a not a block letter script, but something that w one would write in hand in Indonesian. But it's ten times more subtle and more complex, and the different uh, the different um, depths of the lettering matter in terms of meaning. In other words, when 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 something becomes light in a, a curve, starts out heavier and ends up lighter. That means something about time in the relation to, to that word. I can't untranslate any of these words, but uh, it's been a fascinating journey because they will often show me uh, lines of uh, these hieroglyphs, and they're I, I am not conscious of what they mean, but then I get all kinds of fascinating ideas. And it's because my some level of my mind that's not conscious does understand. At least that's what they tell me, and that's why I was saying, "Why do you?" I was in my head. I was talking to them in my mind. Why do you say, show me these hieroglyphs when I have no idea what they mean? And the answer was, "You do." <laughs> it turns out it's true. So, is it always well, a couple of questions here? Is it always? Um, telepathy and a and then do they have any emotions well first of all uh the, the what i was just describing are not physical objects but they are electronic uh you they're 
they're visible in the to the naked eye and they can be turned off and turned on like a light and they, there's some kind of electronic field uh that that creates them but you you know if you were in the house you'd see them too they're not they're not just in my mind um the but a lot of the communication is subliminal in the sense that I will see something like that. And even though I'm not conscious of any, I have not the slightest idea what it means, then I have ideas that are apparently connected with it. So on, as I said before, on some level, I do know what it means. Um, do they have emotions? Oh, yeah. You know, the, but it's not like us. Uh, you know, the, the, some of the taller, more complex grays who are, probably like uh, queen bees or something would be a very rich, complex, emotional beings. But there is something more important, which is an overall kind of, if you will, a holistic emotional presence that you need to, in order to understand where they are with you, you have to not so much be concentrating on individuals but be concentrating on this overall presence. And it has gone in my life from initial indifference to interest to more than a little fear of me to compassion and an attempt to help me and to what it is now, which is a very calm, friendly, relationship we're predators and so are they and we both know what we do it's not a secret between us and um uh we do perhaps a bit of circling you know like two different species of predator might but predators don't eat other predators they eat prey so i don't feel threatened by them at all i do know some things about people who are not or who are more vulnerable to them, though. And um, that's something that does concern me, uh, for sure. Now, why would you suppose, wherever they're from, that they have an interest in us, and in particular, uh, why they choose people? You know, I've heard other people say, not exactly your story, but, you know, a similar story. And uh, well, of repeat visits, you know, repeat um, there are many, testing. many layers involved in the choice of people that they make. The most basic layer is it has to be a personality that is viable. And they consider that, in other words, people who are um, uh, very violent or have very strong opinions that the visitors regard as wrong probably are going to be left alone. They And if you if you get a bunch of abductees together in the same room, you find these are all very mild people. You know, they're like me. I mean, I'm, I don't have much of a temper. I haven't raised my voice probably 10 times in the past 30 or 40 years. I mean, you know, I'm very mild-mannered, and uh, which I, I don't understand. I have a lot of, you can imagine how confusing 
modern politics is to me because people all screaming at each other all the time. It just makes no sense. It's it, it's like watching beings from another planet to watch our my own American compatriots. Yeah. Uh, so in any case, uh, that's one level. There has to be a level of intelligence, and they prefer people who are intelligent but not highly educated. And that's because if you, if you have a high level of education, you're not going, they're not going to be able to break through to you. I mean, this is people they want, to, if these are people they want to inter- interact with. Uh, like a perfect example, uh, there was a physicist who used to come to our cabin a lot. And he absolutely was an absolute skeptic. He had to be, because if they were real, then his entire worldview was wrong. And he had built that up. He was highly educated. And this was his his treasure. This was his, his intellect was his precious treasure. So we go down to the circle where the visitors took me up. And at that point, we had a circle of stones. And we're sitting there meditating together, the group of us. And suddenly, this is afternoon, this marvelously beautiful shaft of golden light comes down into the middle of the circle from above. It was lovely, lovely. And when you looked through it at the others sitting on the other side of the circle, they looked magical. They looked, um, it's like their souls were very beautiful and you were seeing still the body, but you were seeing it, the sense of the soul because of this, what I would describe as holy or sacred light. Only he couldn't see it. The rest of us all could. There were nine or ten people in the circle, including children. He He couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. Then what happened? He got a horrible splitting headache because his mind was fighting that, that vision so hard he could not afford to see it. Now, that's a person they're not going to bother with because what's the use? Um, hmm. Then the other reason, another reason is they like, they like rural areas because it's, it's safer if they're going to be doing physical movement of people and uh, they can do it in a more hidden way. And they like areas where there is a lot of flux of... Uh, of different types of people, different DNA, different DNA and different uh, sexual material and so forth, and so they'll hang out in like exurban areas, not not in not so much in really rural areas, although that does happen. But their ideal place is a strip of little towns near a huge city, like where I lived. We were ninety miles north of New York City in a little town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and people were coming back and forth all the time, and so that was that was the kind of place they would hang out. And they found me largely because they'd known me before when I was a child, and I was doing the Gurdjieff Foundation sensing exercise, which I know now makes your makes you glow in a certain way that 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 they can see. And so there was this little guy out there on weekends and 11 o'clock at night, he would start to glow. And they got interested and came back and 
the whole relationship began very violently and rockily, but it's not violent and rocky now. It's working pretty good. Wow. Um, I've said this um, a few times on, on this show. If something like this was going on me, with me in my life, I don't know how I could function. It would just, it would take every minute of my day obsessing over it, you know, <laughs> trying to figure it out. I mean, that must have been difficult. But if you would, can, can you walk us through uh, back in 1985 when this just came bursting into your life, basically, in the cabin? Yeah. It had started the summer before. I did not realize that. That summer, at the, we were living at the cabin, and every day I had a horrible headache. Hmm. Every day. And, of course, it was because I was doing the same thing John, the other the physicist, was doing. I was pushing this away. They were there then, but I didn't know it. And I was absolutely terrified. I bought guns, alarm systems, all kinds of stuff. Had the windows screwed closed downstairs. It was ridiculous. I mean, my wife thought I was going nuts, and she wasn't entirely wrong. But because uh, I was full of fear in this lovely, quiet community. The, you know, the last crime had been probably committed 10 years ago, and it was somebody who walked out of a restaurant without paying. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was really, really a low-grade crime area. And um, so then comes October, and the first strange thing happens. Jock Sandalescu or Annie, and Annie Gottlieber at the cabin, they're sleeping in the in the guest room downstairs. Our son is in the room next door. Anna and I are in this bedroom, master bedroom upstairs. And suddenly at like four o'clock in the, three o'clock in the morning, the entire cabin is filled with bright light. It's a foggy night, very dark outside. Bright light. I mean, it just was streaming in the windows like the middle of a bright, sunny day. And I thought, holy God, the place the roof's on fire because the wood stove had been going and I thought it had maybe set the roof on fire. So I jumped out of bed. Then, oh, there, and as I jumped out of bed, there came from outside a huge bang, an explosion. And then it became totally dark. Hmm. And I, then my son woke up and he was screaming. He was seven, seven years old. And, um, I went downstairs, Jacques and Nanny were both awake, and I said they were coming out of their room, and I said, don't worry, it's okay, there's no fire. And then I went into the, my son's room and comforted him. And the next morning, we barely even talked about it. But then later, in December of that year, I had a hell of an experience. I did not know what had happened to me. I, the, the morning after it happened, December 26, I, I thought I remembered seeing an owl in the house, and then I decided, well, it couldn't have been in the house. It must have been at the window. And I, In the evening, I went up and looked at the window, but see, this, there must be out tracks or marks on the, in the snow on the windowsill, and there were none. And that began a long period of wondering, am I going insane, or is uh, this... Uh, criminal activity, you know, what has happened to me? It took a while, like weeks, for the UFO 
idea to pop into my head, and it came along when my brother had sent me a Jenny Randall's book called Science and the UFOs for Christmas, and he was sort of interested in that stuff. I, you know, I love my brother, but at the time I thought it was a fairly kooky interest, and so I began to read the book, and I and and at the same time I was writing a story, short story called Pain because I had remembered what felt like some kind of sexual domination almost, and I had never had an understanding of that in my life, and it did, wasn't part of my personality. But I, So I was trying to kind of explore these strange feelings this way in this short story, and I was reading the book at the same time, and you can tell when I got to the part about UFO abductions in the book, because all of a sudden the short story's got all this UFO stuff in it that shows up. And... Um, uh, Bud Hopkins was mentioned in the book and I was reading along and I thought, my God, that's what happened to me when, when the, his, the description of abductions came up. And I, um, uh, I thought, this is ridiculous. It's, this absurd thing, it happened to me. And so Anne said, well, why don't we meet this man? He's living, he lived right in New York, right down the street, two mile, a mile, half a mile from us. So we met him, and that was when things began to coalesce in my mind. Uh, he wanted to hypnotize me, but I'm not going to be hypnotized by someone who's not a licensed professional. So he proceeds to get in touch, me in touch with Dr. Donald Klein, who was the head of the New York State Department of Psychiatry, and a forensic hypnotist, one of the one of the most notable ones in the world. And if you think forensic hypno hypnosis is is ridiculous, forget it. It works well. He had dis he had solved something like seventy cases. A lot of them things like uh, hit and run auto accidents. Hmm. At that point in his career, by helping people remember things like license numbers, so he knew what he was doing, and hmm. I trusted him. He was one of the best in the business. And um, I'm telling you, those two hypnosis sessions are still to this day on my website. And they were, it was shocking. You mean the recording of them? The recordings, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely shocking. And afterwards, <laughs> it didn't take too long. I got curious. And I said to Anne, I think they were aliens. And she says, well, why do you think they were aliens? I said, because, I mean, they looked like giant insects and they had weird stuff and they did weird things to me. And I was, uh, I think I was in a flying saucer. And she said, okay. Um, and then it occurred to me that if I was going to go anywhere with this, I had to re-engage with them if I could. And I started walking out into the woods at night. And she said, are you sure you want to do this? Because she'd been heard the hypnosis sessions and everything. She said, Whitley, you were in trouble. Uh, I'm glad I still have you, to be honest. And I said, well, honey, I, I can't not do it. I have to do it. The first night, walking out alone in the woods at 11 o'clock at night, I couldn't get any farther than the edge of the grass of the yard and putting one foot in front of the other, 
I think it was would have been easier to walk up a gallows. Yeah. That's when it started. That's the beginning. Wow, amazing. Now, uh, what compelled you to write your book, and when did you write it? Communion, I started it. Let's see, I wrote Pain first. And at some point it, it, during this period, Anne said to me, Whitley, this could be a, a wonderful book. And I thought, yeah, that's right. It's a fascinating story. At the time, we were out completely outside of any UFO community. We didn't know what it was, what it was like, that there were people in it, anything. We knew nothing whatsoever about it. <laughs> so uh, I thought it would be interesting to sort of write it down and see what it looked like. And it kind of turned into a book. I began to really get into it. And it was a very big, incredible experience. And I realized that if this is in any way true, I have a responsibility to do this. And you know, I looking back, I was getting ready to go into politics. I had just published a book called War Day. I had loads of political connections from my family in Texas. I could have definitely gone into politics in a big way, and I was planning to, and I didn't. And to this day, I do not know whether that would have been the better decision hmm. or not. Because when I see the political situation now, I think to myself, could I have helped this country? Could my presence in the political world have been good for the country, stabilizing? And, you know, this, my personality type is ideally suited to negotiation. I'm, I'm very good at that kind of thing, and I'm, I'm not passionate, but I am in, I am intense and I have a clear moral compass. So I might've wasted my life here. I'm not sure, but I have, however, opened up a door in many, many people because that, that communion face. Yeah. That yeah. face. Can you grab that painting? Yeah. I've got you it just right did here. before the show. Yeah, and this is for the people at YouTube, but uh, if you're right. familiar with it, uh, check this out. Uh, this that's the original artwork. The original artwork from the cover of Communion. And, and I had I sat side by side with the artist. That's what I and, wanted to find out. Wow. Yeah. And got him to paint this just, and it the head's a little different. It's not as big as it was in real life, but the sense of power and the the expression, the little smile, it, it's, this is a right painting in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about that. And you, you may have known this Whitley, but um, that picture alone has really created a, a lot of, uh, well, a lot of uh, things have changed because of that. And that, I wanna, picture I wanna changed the world. that picture has changed the world undoubtedly. I, I want to ask you this. Were you aware of Jim Weiner from the Allagash incident? Were you aware of his story? No, I'm aware of the Allagash incident being uh, being an important 
close encounter incident yeah. and a, a multiple witnessed one that's that has a lot of credibility. Yeah. But I'm not aware of it in detail, no. Well, I'd like to tell you something because I think this will really interest you. So I spoke with uh, Jim Weiner and uh, uh, Charlie uh, uh, Chuck Fultz, that is. But um, I talked to Jim Weiner directly about the Allagash incident. He walked me all the way through it. And um, he had uh, 10 years or so went by after the incident. They had no clue what happened to them. They, it was complete memory loss. Jim Weiner was working on a construction site in a home, and the floor in, the clo- in a closet was not there. It was taken out, and he didn't know it. He walked into a closet, and bam, he fell down into the basement and had all types of medical issues. He was in a hospital for, um, I think he said, several months, but I don't know exactly how many. It was touch and go for a long time. Uh, one day, um, they were coming around a, a cart with books, and on the cart was communion. He looked down at that book and flipped out. Oh, wow. And the memory came all back to him. Now, he may be someone I can connect you with him if you want him on your yeah, show. Yeah, I'd love sometime. to have him on my show yeah. on Dreamland. But he just, the all the memory came forth because of the picture on your book. He's, he recognized that that's what he saw. He was having nightmares and dreams, and so was everybody else. And as soon as he saw that, it all clicked into place. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I never knew that before. Really? Oh. I mean, I'm so single-minded. I'm an obsessive. I, I, you know, when I'm writing a book, I'm, I'm on that and I do my show and I have a tendency to be a little bit, have blinders on because I'm very, very heavily involved with the visitors. And I, you know, I'm, I meditated with them at 11 and very much more intensively at three o'clock in the morning every night. And, uh, it's just very involving very involving and i'm trying to 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 do things that you know that that are useful and and valuable and that you know they won't they're never going to say you should do this or you should do that but when i do something that they think is good they will they really pitch in and it becomes incredibly fascinating i just finished a book called Jesus, a new vision, which is about the life of Jesus. And it is, uh, unlike anything that's ever been written before, it doesn't claim he's an alien or anything like that, but I was helped by people who have certain knowledge of what happened historically. And boy, you never really will read anything like it. It should be out hopefully in January. Uh, So that and other things, I'll write other things and they have no interest in them whatsoever. And so, yeah, we're getting a lot of questions in the, uh, in the chat and every once in a while I'll pop one up. um, And this gentleman right here, whoops, Willie, you're gone. What happened? Ooh, he just absolutely went away. Ah, boy. All right. So uh, let's see what we can do here. Uh, Really nothing I can do on my side. I'm just hoping he checks back in. Hmm. Uh, 
All right. Uh, hey, Bill, I'm going to bring you in, Bill. Uh, you there? Yes, I am. Yeah. Bill, I don't know what happened to Whitley, and uh, uh, it's a very awkward way for me to try to uh, reach him. I have to reach him through his publicist. I don't have a direct. Yeah, I'm sending him a message right now on Skype, so we'll work on that in the meantime. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know if his internet went out. Uh, we've had that happen before in the show. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, that happened a few weeks ago, actually. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, interesting conversation. And I'm sorry I haven't been able to get to the a lot of the chat uh, questions. But uh, let's see. We're still waiting for him to come in. The one, the one thing I'm curious, when they made the film Communion, I wonder if he had any opinion or input on who would portray him. Christopher Walken obviously was chosen. But I, yeah. I, I just wonder if he, if he had any kind of a role in deciding who would be the actor portraying. They had to have gotten an opinion from him. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, and, here he is. Oh, good. Okay. See you I'm later. Bring him back in. All right. You're back. Yes. I did. I give offense. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I was going to ask you the same question. I was going to ask you the same question. All of a sudden, you were gone. No, it, it just was suddenly gone. The wow. screen, the whole thing was gone, just like uh, that. No men in black showed up at your door or anything, though. <laughs> no, they didn't. They're outside with some little machine screwing with the with the computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, uh, well, glad to have you back. I was going to say, I was just saying, actually, um, you know, there's a lot of people posting questions. I can't get uh, to them because of the way the conversation is going along here. But here's one uh, pop up. You can see it on the screen. Um, so, um, Lou is the guy's name here. He's okay, he- that's a good question. Uh, he talks to them every night about what? Well, a lot of things. Uh, they're interested in the survival of this species. They they want us to survive. Hmm. And so there's a lot of give and take about why we apparently are not going to do that. They don't think. And there's been a lot of research of ideas about the book. And lately I've been trying to get them to interested in writing, helping me work on a screenplay I've been writing. And so far they've sort of been interested, but they're, that weren't nearly as intense about, as they have been about the two books, the three books. Uh, they were very intense about afterlife revolution and super intense about a new world. That book, they were just blazing about i mean they were it was really they had they kept giving me deadlines of september the 15th october the 15th november the 15th of 2019 and then i was told do not miss the last deadline and i thought to myself if i did miss the do miss the last deadline what will happen and i decided why don't you not find that out I made the last deadline. Now with this new book, the deadlines are not so strong. It's but they, but what it has been is that there has been. What will happen is I'll get material, uh, and then I have to dig into the existing scholarship to see if I can confirm it in some way, and I, I pretty much re relearned my college Greek. I took Greek and Latin in college and um, in, in high school. I, I didn't take much Greek, but uh, 
and so I was able to read a lot of the the authors, the church fathers, and uh, the gospels and the apocrypha and so forth that are in that were originally in Greek in the original language, and that help that's helpful because it, there's a lot like the King James version of the Bible, and therefore versions that flowed from it were all. Uh, uh, from the vernacular Bible, from the Latin Bible, not the Greek. And th- that's very important because the different words, like um, in the Latin Bible, in John, when it says, uh, in the beginning was the word, the word is simply verbum, and it means just that, word. But in the Greek Bible, the word is logos, and it means much more than word. Uh it like so in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God could is easily be in the beginning was harmony and harmony was with God and harmony was God. See the difference hmm. that. So that's the sort of thing I've been working on. That's the answer to ah, this question. I see. Okay. Um, as far as time, are you ever have you ever asked them questions like how long have you been doing what you're doing how long have you been visiting people other than myself uh, yeah they started the the abductions in the 1960s and ended them in i think 1995 or shortly yeah or i think maybe it was 93 anyway they it was a program and i I haven't been able to get a very clear idea of what it was about, but I think it had to do with two things. One is they want to use our DNA in some ways and sexual material. I think they had a program, I think pretty sure they had a program of hybridization. I'm pretty sure it failed. Um, they try to make a species that was part them and part us this i'm talking about the grays now and um i think that's a kind of uh uh seed uh, seed bank that they have tried to create a a genetic model of us because to be honest with you i don't think they think we're going to survive yeah i did want to talk to you about that because over and over again, you hear the opinion that there is telepathy messages, take care of your planet. Yeah. Um, and that's where that, they started with me. Yeah. I'm, I know you mentioned something about a stick. They hit you with a stick or something. And oh, God. you had these thoughts. That was, that was way back in, in uh, October of 85. There's this little electric uh, thing that, struck me in the forehead with and I saw them I saw my son die I saw the moon uh, the earth on fire and now my son is a young man and the earth is on fire yeah they've said a lot of things to me that a lot people mostly don't like to hear and uh, I don't talk about them much so I understand, you know, when nobody believes it's real, nobody believes, I mean, 
there are a lot of people who are concerned about the environment, but I don't think anyone really understands the clock. Uh, yeah. Okay, here's one I see in your chat. Uh, if there are more advanced than us, why would they be interested in us? Shall I answer that? Because I can. Uh, sure, I can. Uh, I'll try to pull that up, but um, I don't see it right here. But go ahead. Okay, well, it, I assure you it's there because <laughs> I'm reading it. All right, there's a very specific and clear answer to that question. Um, it comes from two scientists who, I, to my knowledge, knew nothing about the visitors. It was an article published in the April 1977 issue of the magazine Science by, it was just a brief comment more than an article, by two, two scientists, uh, two physicists, D.B.H. Kuiper, uh, and uh, Mark Morris speculating that if an advanced species were to come here from wherever they might come, from another planet or from some other dimension, as we were discussing earlier, they would do two things. One, they would immediately, they would keep themselves hidden because they could have only one reason for wanting to be here. And that would be they would want to experience something new. Because if they could get here at all, it would mean that they had an absolutely vast experience of the universe. So they would hide so that we did not uh, experience cultural colonization. Because right now, if they showed up, we would immediately drop everything and turn toward them. The same way when... Uh, uh, Europeans with advanced technology showed up in in uh, native societies around the world. The native societies essentially imploded, and you know they became interested in getting pots and pans, and they lost interest in their gods and their own inner exploration and everything. Right, and it, it, they're gradually coming back, but it was a, oh, an overwhelming shock, and they don't want to shock us that way. And so that's the answer as to why they're here. They're here to experience the new. And they, I think they're in a conundrum, too, because if they come out, then they lose their reason for being here. But if they don't come out, I think we go extinct. I think that's pretty much where we are. Yeah, Because well, no, nobody believes what's happening. At least nobody in power does. If if Obama had believed it, he would have a very different approach to the environment in his presidency. So would all of the presidents prior to that. And now we have a president who actively denies this reality. So we're going nowhere fast in this country, and it's the same around the world. The yeah. best countries are barely responding to it. And not only that. I don't think we really know how because we haven't studied it carefully enough yet. They say, oh, we have to cut back on carbon dioxide emissions. But will that help? We're, and how, what, back in what way, how much, when? It, have we gone just, too far? That's the, that's the main has question. Has it gone too far? Exactly. Has it gone too far? Yeah. Have well, we they've the gotten, the, the reason for the Jesus book is that they're now interested in strengthening souls. They're not so interested. They're not really on the environmental kick anymore. They're interested in 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 good, clean, strong souls. 
and I have a feeling that's because there's going to be a lot of them running around without bodies soon. Well, well, uh, we go into we go into break in just three minutes, but I wanted to ask you this question first: Do they, as far as you know, do they experience time as we do? No, they don't. I do know that very well. Uh, I see them, and I think the easiest way of seeing when I say them, it's such a huge array of being reality out behind that little word. It's almost like a shorthand that's too short. But anyway, they see reality from, they see time, they see from out, they look into time from the outside. Let's say we are like in the river of time. We're floating in the river of time. And, the, and time is streaming past us. They are looking down into the river of time from the bank. And when they want to contact us, they have to fish in the river, like take us out of the stream of time. And that's hard to do for them and for the person it's done to. It's terrifying because of what we are and why we're here. And we can get into that later if you want, since you're coming up on a break. Yeah, we are. Um, yeah, we might as well go into break, and then we'll talk about that later. Also, I wanted, after we come back from the break, I'm making a note to ask you about when you first thought you were in a saucer, and why would they need a saucer? But we'll we'll be talking about that on the other side of the break. For those of you on YouTube, I'm going to be playing a clip um, with Whitley and uh, someone I got to know, uh, a neighbor of mine, Tom Snyder, the uh, late night host. Uh, that clip will be playing now, so uh, hang in there. Uh, we'll be right back on KGRA right after these messages. A birthday without her mom. An anniversary without her husband. Her wedding day without her dad. These are the days when military families feel it most of all. The loss of their soldier their sailor, their airman, their marine, their coast guardsman. Families never forget their loved ones lost to war or illness or suicide. Families never forget, and neither do we. We are TAPS, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. We provide resources, support, and comfort to heal the hearts and meet the needs of grieving military families, all at no cost to them. Your generosity can make an enormous difference in the lives of the families of our fallen military heroes. Our military families need to know they are not alone and they are not forgotten. Show them your support at TAPS.org. Folks, this is very important information. What's to be said about CBD? AncientLifeOil.com Our CBD is made from hemp, and has 0.003 THC, which means this wonderful product won't get you high. No matter what amount you take. What does CBD do for the body? My hands are tied. But you can Google CBD benefits and be astounded. When you're finished reading, you'll want to log on to ancientlifeoil.com. That's ancientlifeoil.com and purchase. Life is good when you feel good. People are tired of pain. People are asking for non-GMO organic products to help them with... <laughs> you fill in the blank. Legal in 49 states, and again, our CBD is made from hemp. Ancient Life Oil is about helping people one by one by one. If you wonder how good the product is, the CEO 
takes it every day without miss. Ancientlifeoil.com. That's ancientlifeoil.com. Have a great day. Permanent industrial glue impossible to remove? Not anymore, because Handyman Formula by D-Bond is a patented chemical adhesive remover. It's used in the building and home maintenance industry, but now it's available for your home use, for your DIY projects. Unglue stickers, silicone rubber, labels, price tags, flex tape, weather stripping, carpet glue, wood glue, liquid nails, even 3M5200. And it dissolves graffiti. Yeah, graffiti. Handyman Formula by D-Bond works, and it's safe to use on most surfaces. No need to call a professional. Don't get out the pliers and blowtorch. Just apply a little Handyman Formula by D-Bond, and wait 90 seconds, then quickly and easily pull the items apart. Get unstuck. Visit dbondhandymanformula.com. That's dbondhandymanformula.com, or call 561-575-4200. Handyman Formula by D-Bond. Please listen. Now is not the time to fear. When your immune system is strong, shields up. You have very little worries. If your immune system is compromised, you're susceptible to all viruses. I say shields up and no fear. Try Heartlove from GetTheTea.com. Heartlove has a special ingredient called allicin. It comes from the healing part of the garlic plant. No garlic breath, no garlic leaking out your pores, just pure immune-building ingredients that gets your shields up. Heart Love is a unique blend of herbs that loves to build you up. Google garlic and know the benefits. One Heart Love pill is equal to 20 cloves of garlic. 20 cloves! Shields up. You've heard of our life-change cleansing tea at GetTheTea.com. Now try Heart Love. And by the way, take your blood pressure and watch weekly what happens. So here's how to purchase. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. And build your shields. That's GetTheTea.com. Mention Ray in the coupon code and hit apply and receive free shipping. Mainstream media's most wanted. KGRARadio.com. All right. Welcome back to the show. My guest this evening is Whitley Strieber and Whitley we're back and I want to uh, I mentioned at the top of the break that I was going to talk to you about saucer and that is uh, I know that when you mentioned you know at least in the in 1985 in your first encounter you think you were on a circular spaceship and my question is do they need something an object to get from where they are to hear like a craft well i was perceived myself as being in a round room for a long time i thought it had been a tent i thought i had been abducted by people who were using lsd to to try to drive me crazy because i'd written a book called war day and uh there were some people in the national security council who well, let's put it this way. Ted Kennedy had written, had read from it on the floor of the Senate. And as a result of that and other things, uh, uh, he, um, it had made some of the people in the administration very angry because they'd been looking for a big budget increase to, heart, to, to FEMA to pay for hardening our industrial complex against possible nuclear attack. And the book put, put an end to that idea. And I had been told by 
a Senate staffer that I was liable to be targeted. And in those days, they, they used to do political um, tax audits, you know, where they'd audit you for four weeks and cost you a fortune in accounting fees, and it would lead to nothing. But that wasn't, and so I thought that it wasn't a tax audit, but that they'd jacked me up full of LSD. And the thing was that was weird was, I remembered seeing a friend in the, in the, before I went up in the air into the thing, I saw a friend sitting with these strange beings. Uh, and um, I was um, uh, uh, talked to him. In fact, he, he had been an intelligence officer and he talked to me extensively about faults in the exhaust manifold system of the stealth aircraft, which were very, very deep, deep, dark secret at the time. And I was sitting there listening to him. Why is he telling me this? And um, so over the next few weeks, I began to think those little creatures that were there are weren't there. That's all in my head. He was there, and he's a CIA guy. They juiced me with something, and he was there for whatever reason. So I called him at home, and he, it, the phone is disconnected. Then I called his brother, and his brother told me, well, he died last March. This was now, he, he would have died nine months before I saw him. And that was when I began to realize, hey ho, this is a little weirder than I thought, uh, because this is not like you wouldn't expect ghosts to hang out with aliens from another planet necessarily. And he was as big as life; he looked real. So what in the heck is this about? <laughs> now, yeah. fast forward to this moment, and I do know that there is a confluence between the dead, the visitors, and us, and Annie back there in the picture you can see her behind my head. Mm -hmm. She was the one who read all those hundreds of thousands of email of letters, excuse me, before it was before email that you heard me talking about in that, um, right. in that wow. program. <laughs> that must have taken months. Well, she did. She was incredible. Uh, she read them. She cataloged them. Uh, she... Uh, the, the communion letters is a book she produced based on with all with a representative sample of them. Great book, and all of that. Uh, and she um, came out of her office one day and she said, "Whitley, this has something to do with what we call death." And at that moment, the whole business of the barrier between the living and the dead began to fall in my life, and now. I say I work with the visitors. I also work with Annie. And we wrote a book together after she died called The Afterlife Revolution. She came back and I'm not, she's not so big, uh, uh, so heavily involved with me now for various reasons. But at first it was like, we were like this and we literally wrote the book together. Do you know, 
You asked a while back as to why it happened to me in particular. I think you asked that question. I didn't get to it. I sort of ended up talking about why the abductions occurred. And I think there's a reason for it. And if, if you look into this, you'll find that lots of people who had military backgrounds, especially if it was intelligence related and communications related, ended up involved the children did and that i think is still true uh my one of my uncles was um involved in the roswell incident at Wright field when the debris was brought there he was one of the officers who examined first examined it and his mm-hmm. um he introduced me to his uh, commanding officer arthur exon who uh told me he had he gave me a whole long thing uh Serious, uh, a whole long thing about uh, uh, that I based my book about Roswell Majestic on. It's it's non it's fiction because they couldn't give me any any um, documentation, but much of it I think is is from life. So that was there, and my father was somehow involved. I to be honest with you, I don't know how, but Guy Hicks who was the commanding officer during the Mantell incident in 1947 where a young officer uh, uh, was uh, Captain Mantell was apparently shot down by a UFO and of course the Air Force said it was anoxia and all this stuff well for some reason Hicks ended up living like half a block away from us And, and I was sent over to to uh, play with his kids, even though I didn't know who they were or anything. And I I just, uh, so there was some kind of locomotion there, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, hmm. Can I address things that are flashing past in the chat? Is that all right? Or do you, uh, how do yeah, you, do you how see do you do the that? chat? Well, I, well, I can I do can this. I can see the so, chat, yeah. Yeah, so this one, he, he just uh, came. Why him? Why not a head of state or leader implement these plans to save humanity? That's a damn good question. Why do they go to some jerk who's on the periphery of the world and 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 drop that ball in his lap? I don't know the answer to that question. And I wish I did. I wish I could say, well, blah, blah, they wouldn't have heads of state. Yeah, if they went to a head of state, it would damn well help. And I wish they would. And they haven't. And I've tried everything to get them to come out for just five minutes in a way that is undeniable to the world. And I can't get it to happen. And I just, sometimes I think to myself, do they want us to survive or not? Or can they not decide? Or is there conflict or something that makes it impossible for them? Uh, I just don't know the answer. It's very, very frustrating. There was another question there about whether or not I took uh, uh, ever took LSD. The answer is absolutely not. Uh, I had uh, I've had one experience in my life with marijuana. I walked into a room back in the seventies where there <clears throat> during a party there were people. It was illegal then, and people were very discreet about it. And they uh, uh, they uh, uh, they were smoking marijuana, and I was in the room for two or three minutes and left. And I was high for a week. 
<laughs> I kept seeing myself pass in the street. And then the next weekend, we went to another party, and I effusively complimented the hostess on the goldfish in our lampstands. And Ann said, we're going home. There are no goldfish in the lampstands. You're still high from last week. <laughs> and I figured, you know, if if I'm living this life, and marijuana marijuana does that to me, I'd probably be better off staying away from all psychoactive drugs because I've got something very sensitive going on up here. Yeah, uh, I'm there with you. I've, I've, I've always been afraid of that type of thing myself. Here, you talk to them every night, haven't you asked? The answer is, I've asked, I've pleaded, I've demanded, I've insisted, all of the above. And gotten nowhere and it is ruining my life to be honest with you i feel uh i feel that i did all of this i gave up my life for this i became a marginalized nut in the in the view of many people and i did it so that i could help make this work and they just sit on their duffs and it's infuriating frustrating and i think Tragic. Tragic. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm just answering someone else and over at um, Facebook that you've already answered that question, too. Um, now, what about if you decided you were going to film, have film, uh, you know, camera set up everywhere in your house or camera I've set done up? That. You have. I've done that. We did that early on. I know we you did a... that early on. But I mean, what about I still these... have cameras here? All, all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If only they would show up in front of a camera, it would be wonderful. And there's ample opportunity here. I've had them physically in this house with the cameras on, and you don't see them. Oh, That's what, but, yeah. but, but here's why. The camera will turn off first. You always know when they're coming in here physically because the camera's turned off. I went on, I was on to the Nest tech support and everything. They have no explanation for why the camera will turn itself off and then turn itself on again. But like, for example, if I have a very intense experience and the camera is on, what I find when I look at the camera's footage is about five or ten minutes before the experience, the camera stops. And then it starts again later. And there's no apparent reason for that. There is, you, you're not the only one that's, I've heard this mentioned before, similar things mentioned before. Uh, um, ha, has anyone that you've talked to since you've come out with all this basically have your story very, very similar to your story? Is it happening in other places very similar to what's happening to you? Uh, yeah, but unfortunately, the people involved are very secretive, and I can't, I can't say anything more than there are some people who are equally involved, and some who are probably more involved than I am. When you got that hundred seventy thousand or whatever it was letters, it was more um, than that over time. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and. Were there people that really wanted to, hey, look, I'm having the same thing. I want to connect with you. Can we talk? Uh, yes. Did you reach out to some people? I reached out to thousands. Really? We, wow. we reached out to at least two or 3,000 people. And uh, 
we did everything we could. We, we formed something called the communion groups, but it was invaded by what now are called trolls. And they, we had to close it down because it was a lot of crazy stuff started going on. Really nasty people. And, um, I think they might have been people working for the government uh, because they were there to to wreck those groups. That was their purpose. Who knows what their motives were? You never know these days. People have got so many hidden motives. Um, mm-hmm. This is no different. I mean, if you read uh, the age of Philip II, the great, uh, the first real spy master, uh, the emperor of uh, king of Spain back in the 16th century, he was, he was all, there was as much duplicity and spying and lying going on in there as there is now. So, Mm -hmm. but people are just like that. Um, So someone uh, posted here, you can see it, Alex uh, wanted to know, what about, uh, you know, an analog photograph? Have you tried that too? Tried that. And Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the visitors even recommended a uh, brand of camera to me, an analog camera. And I bought the camera. And the damn camera was incredibly difficult. You couldn't operate it. You could not work it. I could not work it. And uh, they never showed up when I had the camera when I could have just picked it up and clicked a picture but and, and maybe gotten a picture. I got actually about five pictures out of the camera before I tossed it over my shoulder and ran like hell. Uh, but uh, uh, it, was, it had to be the worst, most, this was back in the, in the early, in the in, in mid-80s, 80, late 80s or early 90s. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, do they ever discuss where they're actually from in detail? Never. Never. Hmm. I don't know anything about where they are from. They would say, if asked, I think we're from here. And uh, I've toyed with a fascinating idea. You know, one of the things that's characteristic of planet Earth is that there are many species with multiple forms. Tadpole turns into a frog. Yep. Caterpillar into a butterfly. Hmm. What if we're a multiple form? Hmm. We might be genetically encoded not to interact with the other forms. Who knows what a caterpillar thinks about a butterfly? <laughs> Never thought you of know? that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That, that is an interesting take. And um, I truly think, you know, the more I look at this topic and other topics in the world, that I think we know so little. Do you feel like you may know more than the average person through them? <laughs> I don't know if I want to answer that question, but I, of course I do. Of course I do. I know an immense amount of, I've had, an extraordinary life and uh, there's no two ways about it. I have had, and I, I'm in one sense, I'm very grateful for that. In another sense, I think I've been 
they've marginalized me when I could have done much more in the world than I did. And I think I've been had in a certain way. I let my curiosity run away with me. I probably, I probably would have been had a more richer and more valuable life if I hadn't written communion, hadn't, I could have done this indirectly. In other words, I could have formed a relationship with them without writing about them, I think. Hmm. And I might have been able to get a lot of value out of it without having to to spout off my all my stuff in the public. In the public. So. Do you think that writing, starting off with the book Communion, do you think that hurt your career? Oh, yeah. I destroyed it. I remember I'm, hearing you say that. Um, I listened to something a long time ago, and uh, it, it really hurt you financially overall, right? To yeah, come up with that. Yeah, I lost the cabin, and right. it, didn't, it wasn't even yeah. very expensive. I lost everything. There was a point in time when Ann and I, we had our son in school, and we had a choice. We either paid his tuition or he was away at boarding school and because we had, you know, we were at that level of living and we didn't want to take him out of his school. We almost had to, but, uh, we, uh, we would have to choose sometimes between eating and paying his tuition. And we, we chose the tuition and we had to, we borrowed money from friends for meals and we lost the cabin. We lost everything. And it was because of, well, you know, the South Park, uh, I mention this all the time, this, oh, yeah. the opening episode of South Park really hurt me because people will buy the books of someone who's controversial and they'll buy the books of someone they're curious about, but they will not buy the books of someone who is a public joke because they don't want to be laughed at. That's a powerful tool, a powerful weapon. Wow. And those two guys used it against me and it worked. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, that's that's uh that's that's disheartening. And well, uh, you know, it's another thing. You know, like I am it's worse now than it was 20 years ago. Worse, it's much harder. Like the New York Times which will publish Leslie Keene's stuff would never come near reviewing one of my books. The new book I've written no one in the in the Jesus research community will will give me a blurb or even read it because I'm Whitley Strieber. And believe me, most of them cannot write a book as good as that about Jesus. In fact, I'll go so far as to say no one ever has, as you shall see when it comes out. Um, but they won't even touch it. Uh, if I send it out to Kirkus Reviews and the Library Journal and Publishers Weekly, if I get a review, it will be a negative review, and it will be a review of Whitley Strieber, not of the book. Period. Mm. And that's just the way the the cookie has crumbled, and I think it's awful. Yeah. I mean, you Um, have on one hand this kind of denial, and on the other hand, the visitors are sitting on their duffs and won't do anything. It's yeah, you talk about a frustrating life. That's exactly what I've got. If you had someone like, um, you know, there are 
um, there are some scientists now. Um, we talked about Leslie Kane coming out with the New York Times article back in 2017. So there are a lot of scientists taking this topic more seriously. If you were approached by someone that wanted to study your situation, or have you been approached in the past? Oh, yeah, of course I have. They, and, they've got my DNA. They've got my uh, MRI scans. They've got everything they need. They've even got information about the implant, uh, including oh, yeah. Um, yeah. including the uh, signal. They've got the signal. So they've got everything they need. And what do I get out, out of it? Not a word. I drop all that stuff in a hole as far as I'm concerned. I did learn one thing that my brain is, quote, unquote, very unusual. And I found out why. Uh, the, uh, it's, uh, the, there's an area called the white matter, which is very over extended in my brain. It's very large. And there are studies going on now that, uh, are trying to say, see whether or not this is the area of the brain that governs paranormal and psychic experiences and stuff like that. Um, hmm. So maybe that's an explanation. I don't know. Well, just uh, popping this up, just just so you can see it. It's from yeah. Mary Gray. She's regular here. She said she she will definitely read that uh, book. Um, well, wow. you, you don't you don't have to not believe in Jesus in order to like my book. Believe me, Jesus was. This is no secular take on Jesus. I know a lot, a hell of a lot about what actually happened. A hell of a lot. And it is, it's going to be an interesting experience to publish it because it's not what anybody wants to hear. It's especially the secular people. They do not want to hear this. They do not. Well, well, along the lines of what I asked you before, has a team of scientists lived with you for a long period of time? Has anyone like, have they gone to that extent now at the cabin? No, a lot of them came up to the cabin. Yeah, but they but uh, they didn't have experiences except that, like what happened to John Gladman. They would they would be there, and everyone else would have an experience, and they wouldn't they wouldn't see anything, you know, because they they can't afford to have their paradigm uh, burst. Hmm. Yeah, um, I think I'm going to take. S- calls now we've had a a very active chat tonight so i'm going to bring in here we go and that number everyone is uh 855-472-5483 and if you have a call i mean if you have a question for our guests um feel free to give us a call um do you think uh let's see i did have a question here as far as uh opening up non-believers into your idea um, that you think this is happening. What is your best uh, way to convince someone, or do you feel like you don't need to convince anyone? It's not up to me. They have to make their own choice. I'm not, I'm not going to be debating people. It's a, it's, the reason is I learned a long time ago, it goes deeper than that. Uh, you can you can prove something to them, and they're still going to walk away with the same opinion they had before. They, it has they have to find the place in themselves that can see this, and if they don't find it, they don't find it. 
Now, you, you met with Bud Hopkins, which I understand he was a real fine gentleman. I never had the chance to meet him. Um, what's some other people that you've met with? Um, you mentioned the uh, the hypnotist that was a renowned. Yeah, uh, uh, Donald Klein. Ha- yeah. Who haven't I met with would be the better question. <laughs> uh, I've met with everybody in the UFO community over the years. I think everybody. Maybe some I haven't met, but uh, the great majority of them I did. John Mack? Oh, God, I knew John very well. We were dear friends. We, oh, wow. We had a, one of the last times I saw him, uh, Lawrence Rockefeller invited uh, me and Ann and John Mack and uh, uh, always block on his name, an astronaut who founded, uh, uh, founded the IONS, the Institute for Discovery Sciences. Uh, Hmm. Uh, not Gordon Cooper. Um, I'm just Gordon trying to think Cooper. of some names. You're uh, blocking on everyone blocks on his name, and he was so important. He was the one who went to the moon and oh, oh and yeah, found... of course. <laughs> I'm hello, blocking his name. Too. He passed away a few years ago. A couple uh, of years ago. Anyway, the the group of us were there. Terrible, and, I can't remember. <laughs> and we traded stories basically at this lo- lovely estate that. Um, Edgar Mitchell, thank you, Brett Clark, oh, yes. and Mary Grace. Thank you, um, thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, we, uh, uh, this lovely estate that, that the Rockefellers had down in South Carolina, I believe, and spent a weekend there just, just talking in, in, in enjoying one another's company, and it was just an Wonderful weekend. I enjoyed John so much. I'll never forget the day he telephoned me after his book was published. And he, I had warned him that he was going to get into trouble. And he mm. said, Whitley, I am in trouble now. Yeah. They're trying to take away my license and my tenure both at the same time. That was horrible. And I said to him, John, you have to start with the tenure. That's where you have to work, because if they don't take away your tenure, nobody's going to take away your license. That'll go away on its own. Mm -hmm. And he befriended the key man who was against him, and he became an ally of John's. John was a very dynamic personality. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the movie Phenomenon. Oh, yes. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. So good. And there, the some of the wonderful material that John gathered in uh, Africa. I know group of school children is there. He's wonderful um, interviewing those kids. Yeah, yeah, and he just had a he had a big heart and a big mind both. Hmm. Yeah, such a shame he was taken away so young. That's for um, sure. Yeah, uh, I would like to Go to. Ahead. Uh, we're, we should be getting some calls. Uh, again, that number is 855-472-5483. Um, I wanted to ask you about the object that you think was implanted. And it, I don't think. It's right here. I can feel it right now. In fact, I don't know if you can see the ear. It's very red. Can you see that? Are yeah. Are you able to? Yeah. That's because it's transmitting right now. Hey, look at the difference between that ear and this. Oh. Oh man, this is not easy. In this one, see if you can see that. If there's, I, I can't tell if the difference. I can feel the heat of the ear, so I know it's it's going. But this ear should be fairly pink, fairly normal. Yeah, it's it's. And this one should it does look a little redder. 
unless yeah, it's yeah. my imagination. It does. We do have a call coming in as soon as that screen. I'll bring yeah, okay. that person in. But um, you are also not the only one that I've heard about this thing moving. Um, other people have talked oh, about them moving. All the, time. all the time. John, it was a routine experience when uh, Roger Lear was doing implant removals. They would always run away. They expected it. Yeah, that's mine right, went, Roger Lear. Oh, yeah. It's weird because everything is the opposite in this. Uh, mine went from here, where it is right now on the top of my ear, down to here into the earlobe. When the, when the doctor opened it up and tried to touch it with the scal- edge of a scalpel, and, and, it, and, and he, he was pretty surprised, you can be sure, because as I feel it right now, it like, feels almost like it's part of the cartilage. It's very stiff and very fixed. It does not feel in any way whatsoever like something that could move on its own. Yeah. And um, then a couple of days after he obviously pulled out, he said, well, I can't take this out whatever it is, because I'd have to cut your whole ear off. And I said, no, no, don't do it. I want the ear. I I prefer the ear. So uh, so I, two days later, it came up back up here. Annie was always dead set against taking it out. And she made a deal with me. I often wondered what my wife really knew. She said, you, you, you're so obsessed with, with it and you and it bothers you and you feel invaded you get one chance if you can get it out it's out but if it can't if you can't then that's your chance and that's what we have to agree to and then i'll agree to you giving it a shot and so that was what we did and i had my one chance and failed wow well it's also um pretty amazing that uh if you i mean along the lines if you had it removed you probably just get another one you know, know another one would be put in this was a very very special thing it was not put in by aliens at all i remember very well when it was put in in may of 1989 um i was lying in bed i was not asleep i'd been reading and i was just thinking about going to sleep and he was asleep beside me and i suddenly heard a crunching of gravel in the driveway there's a car out there no lights this is the country house, and we had a big fat gate, so I was not amused. I My immediate reaction was to go for the bank of switches beside the bed, which would totally floodlight the whole area. And uh, it's not like I wasn't paranoid or anything. <laughs> but anyway, so I was going for the bank of switches, and I see two people standing at the near the foot of the bed, a man and a woman. And I start to go for the Benelli riot gun that's under the bed. I do not get that far. The next thing I know, I'm lying on my side. I can't see. I can't move. And, yeah, they're pressing me on this side of my head, pressing it into the pillow like in waves. And um, the woman's voice is speaking very gently. I don't know what she was saying. And uh, that lasts a few minutes. I don't know how long, a few seconds, 30 seconds maybe. A minute and um there's a big flash of light and a crashing in the woods and everything is everybody's running away from who the hell they were oh as i woke up i heard a male voice in the backyard say condition red and you notice something about this no aliens i may have seen something in the room besides the two people but i've never been sure of that but this was done by people yeah but you said a female the, so a man mm. and a woman yeah Here's the amazing kicker. 
And this, to me, is totally incredible. Uh, after recently, there was another effort to study it. And uh, a lot happened, including a visit from some people prior to the uh, the the X-ray, the the C C C T scan of it, wanting to explain how it worked to me and asking me very specifically not to let them take it out, which I will never do now. And they told me. The man who came, and he was a human being. I mean, these were two people. Uh, they came at 4 o'clock in the morning, and um, they knocked on the door. And normally, you don't answer the door at 4 o'clock in the morning. But when you are doing this, and the knock comes, you do answer it. And I answered the door, and they were... I the One of the men I had known before, I've seen him a number of times over the years... So they explained the whole thing to me. It's all in a new world. And mm-hmm. before he left, he said it had been invented by a man named Constantine Rawdive. And I thought, what the heck kind of a name is that? But then I realized the next morning, wait a minute, he didn't. He just mispronounced it. It's Rawdive. That's I know who that is, Constantine Rawdive. So I looked him up, and um, he's the EVP special is the master of EVP who uh, uh, did a lot of work on electronic voice communication with the dead before he died. And after he died too, coming back the other way. And uh, I happened to know a man uh, who had made a documentary about him. So I called him up and I described the implant and there's a little slit that appears in my left, in my right eye and you can see words flashing past in it. And here, this is the one of the world's leading experts on Constantine Rodave. And what does he say? He says, oh, that's funny. I have a little slit like that in my right eye, too. I've, wonder, I've often wondered what that was. Huh. And I said, my God, you've got an implant just like mine somewhere in your head. And it was placed there because of your interest in Constantine Rodovay. Wow. Isn't bizarre. that fascinating? Bizarre. Uh, with all lines have lit up like a Christmas tree. So I'm going to take the first call. We have uh, Luis calling from California. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Martin. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the show you're doing tonight. Yeah. Uh, you have a question for Whitley? I do, yes, uh, Mr. Strieber. So my question was, uh, first of all, thanks for, for answering these questions in the chat. A lot of the questions that I put in there, you've already answered. And, and just you being open enough to, to even answer questions like this is really cool of you. So thank you, first of all, for that. But my question is, have you ever had a team of scientists live with you, say, for a year and put all sorts of measurable devices inside your house, outside your home, and had a real scientific study um, done at either your cabin or the home that you're at now? Uh, not here, but we did have not, they didn't live with us for a year because there was never a budget for that. But uh, we had quite a few different instances. And uh, this, is, this has been probably the central frustration of my life. 
that I have not been able to get much of anything on video. It has been so there hasn't been any sort of uh, there hasn't been any sort of academic uh, say university or anything that would would take all of that budget on because no, of the absolutely not. No, the reason is that, not. that this is this is rejected knowledge. There's no one going to pay for something they believe is nonsense. No grants. You can't get a grant for it. A granting expert who was once connected with the Ford Foundation tried for a long time to get us grants. No doing. No Nothing doing. Well, then I guess my final question to you would be, do you think these visitors are measurable by any sort of scientific device, be it, you know, a different spectrum, a visual spectrum analyzer or, or I don't know. you know, who knows? Uh, I, I'm not a scientist, I, but I, I'm, I'm curious to know I what your thought on that would be. That there, elect, that there must be electronic output. And I, I have a feeling they can be measured. And I have had the thought that if we knew how to do it, we might be able to detect them when we cannot see them. Like the animals in our life, uh, our cats were well aware of the fact that when they were in the house, you could see the cats watching them move around. If the cats could do it, there's a technology that could do it too. There has to be. Well, I, I again, I appreciate you answering my questions, and uh, yeah, I'll let you go on to the next caller, Martin. Thank you. Hey, Luis, well, you take know, care. Before before we go to the next caller, this is this is critically a thing to understand because the minute we fix this in reality, in our reality, the world changes. The visitors know that, and that's why they've been so coy and made it so difficult for me. I know it too. I know that if I could get them on my camera out there in the living room for a couple of minutes, it would change the world. I know that. And they do too. And and, and if they are ever ready to do it, they'll do it from with me or with who knows who. And what knows, they always do everything in very surprising and unexpected ways. Huh. But I'm not even yeah. sure we want that. It might be that we don't want it, you know. Mm. But anyway, but go ahead. Let's go. Yeah, to we time. have uh, Jordan calling from Nova Scotia. Hey, Jordan, how are you? Hey, Martin, I'm doing great. How are you? Where are you in a, it sounds like you're talking in a soup can. <laughs> what is, what is, uh, you got your phone? Is that your phone? Are you uh, on yeah, speakerphone or something? It, no, I got you on headphones. Is it any better? Not really, but that's okay. Go ahead. You got a question for Whitley? Yeah, I'm very happy to see you on on Martin's show, Mr. Schreiber. I actually was well, thank this you. morning listening. I was listening to you on a old episode of Coast to Coast from uh, November of '96. So it's uh, I feel like I just hopped in a time machine, and now I'm listening to you <laughs> in 2020. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm in this time were, machine uh, too, and I can't get out. Yeah, you're just as captivating now as, as you were then. I'm also a massive fan of, of your writing. Communion is uh, holds a special spot on my bookshelf. So I, I thank you for everything you, you've done for uh, people who follow your great work. My, my, my question for you is, as, as someone who's been involved in this phenomenon for as, as long as you have and seeing things change over the years, like what I'd like to hear you talk about 
is during your time engaged with with them and following this phenomenon what are kind of the key moments and the most exciting times you've uh, you've lived through during this oh there's no one time that's been more exciting i think uh well i think that some of the some of the direct encounters have been very extraordinary uh, actually there was one a few months ago here in the apartment where one of the little bitty gray people showed up and uh that was really uh really remarkable it only lasted a few seconds but it was that was when i saw the handwriting that i described earlier and that was a pretty peak experience because i have had so little physical contact with them except for the first couple of times and then um then they they wake me up at night all the time and it's a routine uh they'll they want me to do that three o'clock meditation and being the kind of person i am i'm not going to set an alarm i'm going to do it organically because i want them to come here i want them to if they if they if they're waking me up i want them to do it i want the engagement and uh so that happens all the time and but here's the thing if i put a camera in the bedroom doesn't happen does not happen Hmm. the camera does not turn off and it does not happen i had a this is on my phone i had a little um uh a thing called uh sleep talk an app and the first few times i used it i did pick stuff up and i think it's i i put it most of it on my website and it's incredibly eerie uh you can hear them talking about me people human voices and uh to me and me talking to them and here's the thing that's so amazing i you hear me say one night when one of them apparently walks into the room i'm awakened and i go oh and then i say oh oh mature uh some something like um i haven't listened to it in a while oh mature please teach me and i call this entity a name mature but i don't know that i don't know you asked i was asked earlier about names and i said no names but there i this is someone i knew well you can tell and enjoyed being with you can hear it in my voice mm-hmm. it's so i mean can you imagine living like this talking about tantalizing i've got voice recordings and i've got everything except the final thing like right now this something unusual is happening if you look at this year i i it's uh, let me try to try to make myself do this ah, i can't do it you can it, uh, this yeah is you can an, see there's definitely that year is okay, red, red that's for sure yeah this year it's not very red i don't think no i can't see no nope. this year is it much redder 
There's definitely a difference in color, yes. Okay, that would be the first time that has ever been filmed right now, ever. Hmm. It's been seen many times by many people, uh, but it's never been filmed before. Uh, I'll do it again so we can get it on there. That is what the implant looks like when it's transmitting at a relatively low level. It can get much brighter and much hotter. I'll tell you what happened once at, at Southwest Research in Texas. It turned on in the office of the head of material science, William Mallow, and the ear just turned bright red. I'm, uh, it, 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 yeah, this ear, it turned bright red. And he rushed me into a signals acquisition lab. And I sat in there and they did what they did. You, you were just sitting in a, in a silenced room, you know. And then after I, we left and I said to build it, they pick up a signal. He said, yes, I think they did. And that was all he would say because the Southwest is heavily involved with the CIA. And I guess it was a classified lab. Three years ago, I'm at a, at a an, uh, library event in San Antonio and uh, suddenly a couple of guys walk up to me and said, Mr. Strieber, we just wanted you to know that the signal that we got from your implant all those years ago remains the single strangest signal that we have under study. And they walked hmm. away. Interesting. Wow. Uh, Jordan, anything else? The only other thing I'd be curious to hear you talk about, Mr. Strieber, is the connection you have with them and the communication you have with them, is that affected in any way by your need to almost defend yourself from like naysayers? Like, I feel like um, you're often needing to almost um, back yourself up uh, on all of this being real and true. Like, does that affect your ability to communicate with them and the relationship you have with them? Boy, you're hard to hear. Yeah, it was hard to hear that, Jordan. I'm sorry to say, but um, I think he was basically saying. Out at all? I think he was basically saying, "Do you have? Um, has it affected uh, your relationship with them, uh, Jordan?" I don't know if you can talk any clearer, but I think we're going to have to move on to the next caller, Jordan. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, is is this any you. better, Martin? We just can't understand you. It's hard to understand. understand. Yeah, it might just be a bad connection. Uh, but thank you, Jordan, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Uh, why don't we take this uh, last caller and make that uh, the last call of the evening we have. Uh, uh, let's see. We have seven minutes left. So, Ron from Minnesota, welcome to the show, Ron. Hi, Martin, and, and great show. Thank you, Whitley, for being a guest. And thank you oh, both it's my pleasure, as always. And... Uh, I had a question about manipulation. Why would it manipulate us or certain people, if you will? And then on the communication and writing, are they using telepathy, auto writing? Or I've heard of some people talk about auto writing. Is that like what you're doing when you write a book? Or, or are you doing this on your own words? And I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, hear your answer. I use the implant to research the books, and it's it's so wow. radically different from anything we do. It's a little hard to explain how it works, but 
it, it opens up a slit in my right eye, in this eye like this, and you can see words flashing past at breakneck speed. You can't read them. When the two men came here and explained how it worked, this is what they said about that phenomenon, that what the implant is doing, it is finding words in my deeper mind, which we would call the unconscious, that are relating, that my mind is relating to what I'm thinking about on the surface. In other words, it's bringing my unconscious mind to the surface, but not in a way that I could con con could consciously read it, but I can pick it up even though I don't realize it. And so the way it feels is I suddenly get all these fascinating ideas. It's like having a muse on steroids or something. And that's why I think she back there has got something to do with it because she was always my muse in this life, and I think she may still be. In any case, um, that's one of the ways it works. Another way it works is in many ways very fascinating too uh, because you, you ask a question in your mind. I need to know this or that, or I need to know whether or not that's true or this true. And it, the next thing you know, an hour later or a day later or that moment or something, something will pop into your life that has the answer. It's, uh, mm. uh, it, it, in other words, it works by synchronicity also. It's a very sophisticated and wonderful tool. And I just hope, uh, I just hope that someday it becomes a piece of technology that's in the hands of mankind because I am just one little person and I can use it somewhat. The other person I know who has one can't use it at all. And I just think that there's a, we're right at the edge. We're standing on the edge of a new world. And for some reason, we won't spread our wings or they won't, or we're just hanging here. Boy, I wish it would be, let's fly. That's all I can say. Let's fly. Well, well, we are right near the end, and I don't know if you have time to even discuss this because we only we only have about two and a half minutes. Oh it's, uh, my! Wait, two minutes is too short, to yeah. Alex, to tell a story about the guy that was stalking your house. And well, he stalked. He lived in the woods behind the cabin. He followed us to Texas. Are you kidding? Oh, absolutely <laughs> not! And ended up standing in a little cul-de-sac beside the condo and he he wandered around in the condo complex he looked like a child he was only he looked like an 11 year old about that size and um he would do weird things like he climbed up a wall and got onto a balcony and pulled the spikes the spokes out of people's bicycle tires on the second floor and a man saw him hop off of another balcony into a swimming pool which you couldn't do because you know, you needed you'd have to take a run, but there was no room to run. He popped like a jack in the box, and people called Texas Social Services because they, you know, there's a feral child around here, and it's a very weird deal. And 
Um, Did you ever, was, ever have a conversation directly with him? Uh, yeah. One time uh, I asked him, he was sitting on the, on the, on the steps in front of our condo. And I asked him if I could help him. He said, no. That was it. Wow. Uh, Whitley, so we are out of time now, but uh, people can get your book. I have it right here in front of me, A New World. Um, and it's on your, let me just pull up my picture. And uh, it's on your website. Yes. Which is uh, unknowncountry.com. And uh, Willie, I really appreciate it. It's been a really interesting evening. Well, thank you, I, Martin. I'm very happy to be here. Yes. All right. And you take care of yourself. And, uh, and thanks, and folks. We'll be in touch questions. because we, we have some uh, a little bit of business to do. <laughs> I'll take a look at your artwork and things like that. So you take care. Okay. All right. Bye. All right, everyone. So that is it for the show this evening. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Remember, if you want to watch the live stream tomorrow, uh, all you have to do is go um, on the YouTube channel. You'll see it there. There's two live streams coming up and uh, one with Philip Mantle and one with uh, David Clark, Dr. David Clark, uh, both from uh, over in England. So thanks again, everyone. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky. Thank you.